All right, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Hearing. Today, we are joined by three awesome women, Dr. Jackie Scholl, Dr. Nina Kraus, and uh, Representative Melody Blancet. So thank you all very much for being here today. Um, we are going to be talking a lot about uh, how our kids are being tested, uh, their hearing is being tested in schools, um, maybe some of the shortcomings and talk through how that could be changed um, into the future. So I'll kick it over to Dr. Scholl here. Uh, Jackie, if you want to maybe kind of give us a high-level overview of how you see the problem as it is today, and, and then maybe we can talk through how this could be improved. Sure, Dave. Thanks so much for bringing light to this attention. Um, I started i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that i've i've known that this has been a problem for a long time um it actually affected me personally i have a son who um was diagnosed with adhd um medicated um and had some sensory issues you know really really all those things that cross over between adhd auditory processing um oh reading difficult, all of those things. I didn't think the child would ever learn to read. And um, he got this diagnosis when he was probably about five or six. And it wasn't until he was 13 years old and I was norming some new equipment that I had received in the, in the clinic. And oh my gosh, my equipment's broken. <laughs> What's wrong with my equipment? Um, and so I called in one of my colleagues and I said, would, would you run this P300 on my son? Because I, I think the equipment's broken. Um, and what I found out was that my son um, has a significant auditory processing disorder. He, he never had ADHD. That's why he didn't like taking the medicine. Um, he started, he, he doesn't have a P300 on his right side. Um, it wasn't the equipment was broken. He didn't have it. Um, and the reason the child started learning to read was dumb luck on my part, because everything that we know through a lot of Nina's work, Dr. Krause's work and her colleagues is, you know, that timing, that keeping a, you know, keeping a beat, all that rhythm. And when I found out he had allergies to horses, um, I decided he wouldn't be the boy in the bubble. So I enrolled him in horseback riding lessons. And through that learning, that whole using all those big proprioceptive muscles, he actually started learning to, he actually started reading. Fast forward, um, when I sold my clinic about three years ago, I started a nonprofit. Um, up until that point, I had lived in my little glass house and, you know, my people came to me. Um, I had no idea that in the state of Oklahoma, we did not require hearing screens. I had no idea. And I have been living in Tulsa as an audiologist for 25 years. So what I started doing was like, well, this can't be. I mean, we have mandatory vision screenings. We have reading scores that are continuing to plummet no matter how much money, how many, how many great programs we throw at it. It's not moving the needle, but yet we're not even testing hearing. So I started looking at, okay, well, I'm from Missouri. I'm going to see what they do in Missouri because I'm sure in Missouri we do it better. <laughs> we do not. The numbers are terrible in Missouri. And then I went, okay, well, 
you know, Texas, they're all that in a box crackers, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Texas. And uh, Texas, nope, even worse. And then I got obsessed with looking across the country and looking at the fact that if we are testing our children in the schools, we are using the same methods that we used 50 years ago. It hasn't changed. And those states that have mandates, their numbers aren't any better than the states like Oklahoma that don't even have mandates because they're not catching the kids. So I really, to be honest, Dave, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Krause's work. I have been for, for many, many years. Um, and what I realized is that we are doing a terrible injustice to our children. They're never going to learn to read. My son, my son was read to, we have a whole library of children. I love children's literacy. There was no child that was read to more than my son. But yet people want you to believe if you don't read to your kids, they're not going to learn to read. Reading to your kids do, does a lot of really great things. It, it does bonding and it shows them a love of books. But if they have an auditory processing problem or a problem along the pathway, that's not going to teach them to read. And they're being diagnosed for everything under the sun. We're medicating them for ADHD. We are... Um, you know, their behavior issues, they're dyslexic, they're this, they're ODD, DDD, whatever. And I honestly believe a very large majority of those children have auditory pathway problems. And they're not going to learn to read if they don't get the right instruction. Well, thank so. you for, yeah, thank you for, for kind of giving us a high level overview. So you said a couple things there, you know, we've been um, this like method of, tr of testing children has remained the same for about 50 years and, you know, perhaps there's a better method in, in which you can do this. And, and that's why it's great that we have Dr. Kraus here. Um, I have your book, actually, Nina, right here of Sound Mind, um, which was very informative for me as I read that to kind of get a better understanding of what's really going on here. And so when you're talking, Jackie, about the auditory pathway, um, maybe we can start to get into when you really understand what's happening what would be potentially a better method or um, just approach in, in how you could start to identify things like auditory processing disorders, knowing some of the constraints that exist um, in today's, you know, schools and, and the, the constraints that, that, that they're running into? So one of the things about testing a pure tone um, is that it only tells you if the brain hears something. It doesn't tell you the quality of that sound. It doesn't tell you, you know, if if the brain is hearing the right sound. It just hears something. Um, and if you look at a lot of the research, you know, there, there's not a there's not anything right now that says, hey, this is how you should do it. But if you start extrapolating the work that Dr. Krause has done and her colleagues and the other, you know, all the other people that are doing this, you start realizing, you know, something even as, as easy within our three and four-year-olds, can they keep a beat? How do they keep a beat? You know, something that we can, I'm not saying a pure tone is, doesn't have some valid 
redeeming qualities. It does. It's just not what's going to catch these kids who have these auditory pathways. Nina, maybe you can kind of highlight and go into that more because this is clearly your area of expertise. Well, you know, I, I, thank you. And, and and I think, you know, you've really identified a, a key and a very important issue in, in our society because it really impacts um, all of us and all of our kids and, and they're in our future. Um, I, I think that, that, that traditionally hearing has been looked at as something that, uh, you know, the ear does uh, in isolation. And in fact, the hearing brain is vast. You know, pure tones are completely out of context when, you know, you think about how it is that we use sound every day. So our he- I'm a biologist, and I can tell you that biologically, our hearing brain engages um, the, the information that is going uh, from the ear into the brain, and then it is um, informed by multiple systems. It is informed by what we know, so our experience really matters. It is informed by what we know, our memory, what we pay attention to, how our emotions, how we feel, uh, how we move. You know, sound itself is 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 movement. It's movement of molecules, and we produce it by moving. And we need to also incorporate um, the information we're getting from our other senses. So all of that, all of that comes together when we hear, when we hear a teacher's voice. We are processing through all of these different channels. The hearing brain is vast. And, uh, you know, the good news is that we really have figured out some good ways to uh, assess what we might call auditory processing in ways that can really inform us about um, is the hearing brain doing its job? What are the strengths? What are the bottlenecks? And, you know, I've, I've spent my uh, professional career really looking for um, ways to best assess the hearing brain. And, you know, there are many ways that we can do that. And then, you know, you, uh, you mentioned rhythm. That's a very important c- component um, but I, I really think that biologically, uh, to me, what we have that is the best biological tool right now is something that we call the frequency following response, or FFR. And it is, you know, as I'm talking to you now, the neurons in your brain that respond to sound are producing electricity. And we can capture that electricity with scalp electrodes. So if I just deliver a speech sound with an earbud into your ear, it will create electricity that then we can measure. And when we measure that electricity, we can, in fact, figure out how good a job the brain is doing processing the many ingredients that are in sound. You know, sound is is complicated, just like, uh, you know, a visual item has many ingredients. It has a, a shape, size, texture, color. Um, and sound also consists of pitch, timing, timbre, harmonics, phase, loudness, so many ingredients 
And, you know, I think in general, and, and Jackie, I think one of the reasons that uh, hearing hearing is under-recognized and, and overlooked because, for a number of reasons. One is, is that it's invisible, you know? Sound is invisible. And we are living in an increasingly visually biased world. And yet, you know, biologically, uh, sound really affects us deeply. And how we process sound affects how we learn. So A of all, we can uh, measure sound processing in the brain objectively. And, and so I think, you know, if it was my child, I would like to know if, if the reason he's having difficulty reading is it because um, he's having some difficulty with auditory processing. And, and one of the beauties of this kind of assessment is that it doesn't, you, know, you, you can test a, a newborn, you can test a three-year-old, uh, it doesn't require any kind of understanding of doing a task. The child just sits there. He can watch. He can watch a video. As we play these sounds and we measure the brain's response to sound, at you know, certainly in in fifteen minutes or so, we can get a good idea of whether or not um, this is 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 a process that is going well, or if there are some difficulties that require further investigation. So that, that's the first thing. This, the second thing is, um, you know, what can we do? How do we strengthen what I call the sound mind? We can strengthen the sound mind by, um, by playing a musical instrument. And, you know, singing counts, uh, making music really strengthens uh, the sound mind. It, set, it, 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 it strengthens the hearing brain and importantly, remember I, I mentioned ingredients. Well, the particular ingredients that are strengthened by making music is the processing of the harmonics and certain timing elements in sound. So, you know, the harmonics is in music, it, it helps us distinguish, you know, um, if you have two instruments, say a tuba and a piano playing the same note they sound different because the harmonics are different. The harmonics are also what help us distinguish a D from a B and a T. So the distinction of syllables in speech depends on good processing, accurate processing, strong processing of the harmonics and sound. So a way then of strengthening the hearing brain is through music. And uh, we, you know, we know that, that the kids who have reading disorders and have language disorders have diminished processing of the harmonics and of certain timing elements. Timing, you know, sound is, 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 uh, it's all about time and our, auditory system is the hearing expert of the brain. We need to know when things stop and start. We need to know, um, you know, we're listening to a teacher's voice. We need to be able to process all that rich timing information in order to make sense of what is being said. And so we see that kids with language disorders have def deficits with timing and with harmonics, the very things that are strengthened through making music. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I, I definitely want to loop in 
Representative Blancet here, who's with the Oklahoma House of Representatives, um, which I, you know, I think that it was so great to have you join us here because it's great to talk through, okay, here's how we can improve things. Here's the issue, right? But how do you actually implement these changes? And so talking with you, Jackie, um, and, and the work that you've done um, with Representative Blancet in her office, I think is a a really critical part of this story to tell as well of how does that change actually occur? So if you've identified the shortcomings in the testing, ways to improve it, um, you know, alluding to the things that Nina described, then it's a matter of how do you actually bring this to fruition, right? So do you, Jackie, maybe you can start with how you linked up with uh, Representative Blancet in her office and then just sort of like how that side of this works, because I think that's incredibly interesting and you can kick it over to Melody at any time. Yeah, policy change is not something that um, I learned getting my education as an audiologist by any means. Um, so so once you know that there's a problem, you know, how do you make the change and how do you how do you get people more importantly to listen to you? Um, it is a very very noisy world out there and everyone's trying to grab, you know, the mic. Um, but I am actually, ironically, a constituent of uh, Representative Blatt. She actually lives like a couple streets over and we happen to have a mutual friend. Um, and I had, I had just been really like, I can't get anyone to listen to me. No one will listen to me. This, I can't believe so obvious to me why this is going on and no one's listening to me. And uh, my our friend Denise was like, I need you to meet Melody Blancet. She's your representative. And so she introduced us. And of course, you know, I chewed for Melody's ears off um, about um, auditory and um, and I, you know, honestly, it took and 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 uh, Representative Blancet can tell you. Um, it, it was not something that overnight she went. Oh, yeah, I get. It. I mean, because it's all it. It's it's very difficult. Um, hearing and auditory issues. It's it's not as easy as putting on your glasses and all of a sudden seeing all the leaves on the trees. It doesn't work like that. So, um, Representative Lance, said, I'll let you kind of take it from there on because um, I did chew on your ears quite a bit. Thank you, Jackie. Um, I think first of all. You know, for for me, I, this is certainly not anything that's been on my radar screen, and um, but I always try to listen to my constituents and my constituents' concerns. And Jackie, being a constituent and uh, a close friend of a friend of mine, you know, I wanted to better understand what what her professional frustrations were and what was driving that and what I could do to help. So I, you know, needed to do a better job of digging in once the uh, issue was brought to my attention, which I did. And I became really more um, understanding about, you know, what was going on and what some of the problems were. But, you know, at the same time, uh, I also then was recognizing what Jackie was coming up against, and that was, one, a lack of understanding um, within the educational community, and two, uh, the 
Well, uh, as I was mentioning before we started recording, you know, there there is a fatigue in public education today because they're uh, getting bombarded in terms of um, funding, in terms of additional unfunded mandates from state legislators. Um, and you look at, even at the district level, uh, you've got school board, uh, really some serious school board challenges that are going on right now. Public education is at the forefront of a lot of political discourse. And so um, you've got, uh, consequently, a lot of fatigue by uh, professionals in the public education system. However, we also know this is where I think the most important thing for me uh, really uh, came into focus, and that was I come to this uh, policy position not because I ever wanted to be in public office because that was absolutely, categorically not the case. I hate politicians and I hate politics, but... Um, Oh, just, yeah, just the truth. But I come from a private sector background. I also did a small stint um, as a leadership, in a leadership position at the Oklahoma Department of Commerce, trying to recruit businesses to relocate to Oklahoma and to help Oklahoma businesses grow. Well, the key thing in our ability to do that is workforce. And guess what is the workforce pipeline? Our education system. And if we don't have a very strong, robust education system, we cannot grow jobs. We cannot be economically successful. Education is the silver bullet that can enable our state to be economically successful so that our folks can get good paying jobs and do so without public assistance. And so you have to look at this as an ecosystem. So with regard to being able to best equip our kiddos to be successful, well, yeah, they have to hear. And so when Jackie was educating me about what some of the challenges were that um, one, we weren't doing any testing whatsoever, two, that there was really a lack of understanding um, about the even the need to test three, and if there even was testing, it really was not being done in a way that would enable um, successful uh, diagnoses that could cause kids to be able to be successful in school. And so um, I really started becoming just more uh, concerned on the level of, of uh, you know, Jackie's concern about this is an unmet, um, serious problem. So in the in the government process, you know, I, well, the first thing I jumped to was, well, what what can we do to mandate testing? Well, you don't just jump in with both feet, uh, particularly in a political environment. You have to build it's. You got to build consensus. You have to make people aware of the problem. They have to understand what the issue is because, you know, I've got people, t- you know, pulling on me all day long. And you you should see the literature stacks on my desk after even one month 
you know, in legislative session by the stream of people that come into your office wanting you to take their cause on as your number one, you know, challenge. And so we we had to really kind of sit down and devise a longer term strategy to do that. And we started with um, let's let's start educating some people that are key decision makers within the legislative process because I can't just walk in and just as a legislator and say I want this to be done. You know, I've got to have a group of people that, one, understand the problem, and two, believe that it's priority in order for them to put resources against it, whatever those resources are, right? Um, and so right now, we're we're in the consensus building phase. Um, we, you know, we, we couldn't just jump in and just start mandating testing all at once because the question comes up, do you have the people that are uh, educated enough in the testing process to be able to do it. Do you have the equipment? Is it calibrated? Who's going to pay for it? You know, how do we get the local school districts on board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we had to start um, at step one, and that is with educating uh, policymakers about the issue and why it's important. And that's really where we are at right now. And we started with an interim study, a legislative interim study that uh, Jackie presented at and Dr. Kraus presented at. And we presented to the education, the Common Education Committee of the legislature. And they walked away with a much better understanding of, of the issue. So that was step one. Well, and for Christmas, for Christmas, they all got a book from um, that was written by Dr. Krause of Sound Mind um, with a thank you card for me for listening. But but even even before that, I I believe the conversations um, that happened immediately after that interim study was very encouraging because, like Representative Blancet, it was not on their radar mm-hmm. at all. Right. right. Now, this next step that we took, now, and that was really kind of step one, was to establish a body of knowledge and a framework that could be shared. So we we presented to the Common Education Committee of the House of Representatives. So then we took, we were able to take that presentation, and then I was able to set up a working group meeting with the State Department of Education and the other critical element of this is our state department of health because it's not just the education department that really has the um, decision-making capability to just say oh we're going to test all the students it has to be done in conjunction with another state agency the department of health so we had a working group meeting to then educate them about the issue and the challenge. And so that was really kind of step two. We've still got the working group in place right now. Our next step, and I'm still we're still working on this, our next step is to get uh to get a sample size 
from a representative number of school districts so that we can go in and do auditory pathway testing at uh, representative these representative school districts so we can take that data and go back then to these policymakers, both in the legislature and within these state agencies and say, here's what the research is telling us. And so that's really where we're at the place right now. So once we get data and we get facts, we know what we're going to, we know that we'll find it. But once we're able to get that data, we can put it into a compelling analysis format and then really hopefully get some movement on the issue. And I also have a, a second track um, that I'm pursuing, but I don't want to occupy you know, the entirety of the conversation <laughs> here. <laughs> no, no. Well, thank you. I, I think that was incredibly um, informative of how this actually works, because that to me is like where the rubber meets the road is, you know, we can all, um, you know, Jackie can um, talk uh, me till I'm blue in the face about why this is such an important problem, but how do you actually implement real policy change? And so to hear that makes a ton of sense to me. And I want to then transition this either to Jackie or to Nina. If you had an, uh, what does your suspicion tell you in terms of how pervasive are these auditory path uh, way disorders that aren't being caught. Um, and essentially, how much potential is here if we have an updated methodology of how we're tr uh, testing school-aged children? And, and I'm sure that's only just one example of the types of people that can, you know, have better testing, if you will. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that the prevalence is, is very high and we're not uh, capturing a lot of these kids um, you know, if, if you look at the incidence of, of reading disorders, you know, you're talking about 8 to 10 percent. I mean, again, it depends on the, the constituency. It depends on, on, on the neighborhoods. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers are, are percentages are much greater in, in neighborhoods of, of higher need. Um, but, you know, and, and kids have, have, have language disorders and um and attention disorders which as jackie mentioned are often just man they're masquerading as auditory processing disorders so uh, you know I, I think that to the extent that we have difficulty um you know we have a, a large population of of, of school-aged children who are not doing well in language themed subjects and in communication abilities, um, and, and and who are having difficulty in the classroom, um, I, I, I think that we're really um, looking at the majority of these kids actually having a fixable problem, actually having something that is just under-recognized. And, you know, it's funny, we're all kind of talking about how we we recognized and had our own moments of uh, of aha. Um, you know, when when I uh, you know, I, I wrote my my book because I I've, I wanted this very unrecognized um, problem of hearing disorders to be better recognized. Um, and you know, when I sent the book off. 
to MIT Press, I, I, I thought, why did I even write this book? This is all so obvious. <laughs> and and you know, then the number one comment that I have been getting from people from all walks of life is, I had no idea. So so I, I do think that you know, a step, and, and it's just one person at a time. A step is education. Totally agree. Knowledge. So we need people to just become aware. And so, you know, the little thing that I did is, is I've, I've written this book, um, you know, it's, it's conversationally written for anyone. Um, and, and we have a, a website, you know, it's called Brain Vaults. You can find it easily. And, um, and, and I encourage people to, to look. Well, actually, a couple of things. To, to look at on, on the homepage, and there is a little icon of a bus, a tour bus. So take that tour minute, two minute tour, and it will help you find what you're looking for because there's a lot on the website. But again, you know, this is our way of imparting information. And the other thing that I want you to get from, if you just look at the homepage of our website, you will see that, um, you know, we, we study many things. We study education, we study music, we study bilingualism, we study head injury. We study um, a, a hearing loss, language disorders, autism. Um, you might dyslexia. You might wonder, you know, what are they doing at Brain Vaults? But in fact, it's all under this mighty umbrella of sound and the brain. So sound and the brain really touches almost everything we really care about. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, how can I help um, bringing the biology to bear? Because, you know, the other thing that, that uh, the, the reaction that I got from my editor at, at MIT Press was um, a, he was surprised that 25% of the book is, is references. So even though I'm speaking conversationally, I'm really... Speaking to my, you know, thirty years of knowledge of the biology of how we hear, and trying to bring that to bear, and we've learned a lot. You know, I mean, you, Jackie, you say you know, audiology hasn't changed in fifty years. Well, you know, certainly our knowledge of the hearing brain has changed massively, and um, and we have a lot to draw from. So, um, you know, I I try to to help. Um, that I'm kind of on this this crusade to to to, to help um, us all really appreciate how what an important force sound is in in our lives because it is so underrecognized um, and you know educationally also you know this is a bit of a side point but you know we live in a noisy world but people don't think about um, you know how important it is. Um, you know, not to have the, 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 the school windows right by a very busy street, if that's possible, um, to spend more money on getting a quieter heating system or, you know, what, whatever devices we bring into the classroom, uh, they, they all, we know what it's like when uh, the refrigerator shuts off 
or uh, you know, there's a truck outside and we didn't even know it was out there, but then the guy cuts off his ignition and we, we go, ah. You know, so we're all in this constant state of, of, of stress because sound is our alarm sense. And sound also, because it is it it alarms us, every time we get a notification of one kind or another, someone is unlocking their car outside, we lose focus. Focus is really important for learning. So, you know, what are people telling us? You know, kids are saying, I'm stressed. Kids are saying, I'm having difficulty focusing. We all are. And sound is, 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 is at the root of this. So, um, you know, it is, it's my hope that, um, that there will be legislature and that, that really in terms of public policy, there will be public policy to um, mitigate some of the, um, the deleterious effects of noise and importantly, how to really recognize the auditory processing problems that many, many children have that get in the way of their learning. And Nina, I'd like to take even like everything you said is spot on, but in addition to what you're saying, we are not only missing those kids, we're also missing all of the kids. You know, we have screenings in place at birth. Those screenings will miss children with mild hearing loss, children with the cookie bite hearing loss. We know that children from the time they're born and they start school for a lot of reasons, genetics, anatomic, whatever, develop hearing loss. We have a golden opportunity to not only find, to catch and to red flag these kids, hey, these kids may be risk for reading. Um, we could also find the kids that we missed in the beginning because those screening, the screeners are not designed to pick up a mild hearing loss. They, they're set at 35 dB. So we can say there's one to two children born with hearing loss per, per thousand, but I would argue there's more because we're missing them. So not only are we looking at what I consider to be a, a huge problem, um, if it happened to me and I'm an audiologist, you know, I, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, I fortunately, you know, didn't discover and really get interested until I thought my equipment was broken and it happened to be my son's auditory pathway was broken. Um, but we have the opportunity to change the trajectory of so many children's lives. It has to be policy. It has to be. Because what I'm seeing, even, even the children that have to have screenings done because they're on an IEP, um, they're getting screened from a, on equipment that hasn't been calibrated six, seven, eight years. It's not even a valid test. So we've got to put focus just as we do with eyesight. You got to have your eyes to read. Really? But reading is more of an auditory skill. You need your ears too. So I think the numbers are going to be astronomical myself. Well, I want to mention just one little thing about, you know, because people don't think um, that reading involves our hearing. 
Right. And, you know, in the same way as we, you know, babies learn, they learn, we learn to speak first and then we learn to write. And um, it, we, we need to be able to um, have this sensitivity to sound and to make sound to meaning connections in our lives in order then to make the sound to meaning connection between a sound and a symbol on a page. So, in fact, uh, Jackie, it's a very good point that people think, oh, well, reading involves your vision. Well, it involves your hearing brain, which also involves your vision. Um, and and um, the hearing system is often overlooked for language disorders. You know, the thing that's going through my head um, throughout this conversation is that uh, to your point, Nina, that you said earlier, you know, a giant critical step here is education. And I, I look at uh, Rep Blancet as being um, the epitome of this, where, you know, I think that as you sort of illustrate the problem beyond just what maybe the status quo perception is, that it's just simply a hearing test, you know, uh, turning up the dials kind of thing. And, and as you understand that this is something so much bigger, um, in a way, you have to sell it, you know, and you have to you have to paint the picture of why this is so important. I loved what Melody said where, you know, if you think about it from her perspective of why this is so critical and, and all of the things that, you know, she's considering about the future workforce and, and how important this is um, from a policy standpoint and from a political standpoint, I think that's just critical for the hearing healthcare industry to really understand, which is this is maybe like you said, Nina, why did I write this book? This is common knowledge. I mean, it it really isn't. And I think that's that's a giant part of the mission here is to figure out how do we um, as an industry really help to frame this as some, being something that's so much more important. Because to your point, you know, it impacts reading scores. It impacts these things that on the surface aren't super obvious. And I think that as it as you can tell that story, that's how you can catch the policymakers' attention um, to to you know make changes at the policy level. So I just found this to be, you know, Jackie and Nina, you did a really good job of kind of like painting the picture here, and and that's what's going through my head is it seems that the the thing that's really sorely lacking um, is that there doesn't seem to be widespread um, awareness of of the depth of the problem. Um, because I think many people do look at it at that very uh, surface level, you know, you get your eyes tested, you get your hearing tested, not fully taking into account the the brain, you know, auditory relationship here that is um, really what could be being tested on is that auditory pathway brain connection as well. So I that's my, you know, third person or third party perspective here is how I see this is um, where one of the roots of the problem. Let me jump in here too, Dave. Um, I'm going to uh, give an example of another issue that I think um, I, as a policymaker, have recently been um, educated on. And we all have been hearing, at least on the policy side, the impacts of ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. In Oklahoma, we have a uh, significant school population 
uh, children with high ACE scores. And we have been um, educated on the critical importance of the impact of high ACE scores in a child's ability to learn and thrive um, growing up. And so this reminds me, this issue of auditory pathway disorders reminds me a lot of the education process that has gone on in the policy and education community about the significant uh, negative impacts of adverse childhood experiences. And what we need to do is really uh, very similar to what has been done with regard to uh, educating people on the impact of adverse childhood experiences or ACEs on a child's ability to thrive and be successful in a school environment. I'm so glad you said that because also, I mean, you know, the, the perspective that um, that I'm advocating for is a, a very is a holistic one, right? So that the, the the hearing brain really does involve so much of the experiences that we have, for better and for worse. And one of the areas is memory, and memory is tremendously important for learning. And I think that. We, people often fail to realize how tightly the our hearing and memory are linked, and uh, so so developing good auditory skills or not having them has a direct influence on one's ability to 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 learn and to remember, and 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 you don't know, and. and who, we we know that even even at at the end of life when someone is um you know has 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 dementia they will still remember the songs of their childhood because that's just from an evolutionary standpoint sound we have to we, you know we, organisms had to remember that sound is that a sound that is associated with danger or can i mate with it uh, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, sound and memory are really, really late. So it's a vast, it's a vast issue that um, that really impacts our our health and our ability to learn from early on, on throughout our lives. Yes, and I will add that um, with regard to the education process that we as policymakers have gone through in our understanding of adverse childhood experiences, you know, you can follow the steps that were taken to educate policymakers and then to take action on that. And one, you've got research. And so what we're trying to do on auditory pathway disorders is, as I mentioned earlier, is to get research in place and we're working on trying to get a research partner right now so that we can go into a select number of schools and get some data that shows us the degree of the problem and what we're dealing with. Once we get the data, um, we can use that for a variety of things. Parallel to this process is a step that I'm taking right now. I just passed off the House floor last week. It's now lobbed over to the Senate side. A legislation, it's House Bill 2827, and it is a grant 
program that we I'm advocating putting state dollars. I'm hoping for about $10 million. We'll see if I'm able to get that. About $10 million into a grant program. That program would fund school nurses. It would fund counselors of a variety of types of counselors. And it would also fund mental health professionals to be out third-party mental health professionals to be hired. But what we're also looking at adding in terms of an amendment to the bill on the Senate side is educational, a grant that include educational audiologists. And one of the things that in our conversations uh, that we have learned is one, there is a critical uh, shortage of school nurses in schools. And guess who used to do, you know, the hearing testing? School nurses. Well, we don't have school nurses anymore. They've almost been completely um, removed from the school environment. So, and we certainly do not have educational audiologists. I think we've got one, Jackie, at the state level. Isn't that correct? So we have one educational audiologist for the entire state. And so, you know, we've got to get a the the money at least in a grant program that can show proof of concept so that's step two in addition to the research we've then we've got a grant program and on top of that what we're going to do is use that money that gets put into this grant program so we can go back to the federal government and get matching medicaid dollars because medicaid dollars at the federal level will pay for school nurses they will pay for educational audiologists if we can prove that there's a significant health challenge that we're trying to deal with. And then three, the next step that we've got to take is we've got to get in front of other key opinion leaders, nonprofits that are out there that are focused on early childhood education. They're going to care about this issue once they have a better understanding about what it is. And then two, we need to get in, in front of possible funders, large scale funders that can support um, dollars donated for training and for, for, for professionals. So we've got a lot of steps in front of us, but we've outlined a plan and that really kind of focuses on what everyone out there can do to help move this issue forward in their own state. That is fantastic. So I am so proud that um, Representative Blancet is is my representative. I know I, I'm I, jealous, right? She is like it, I mean, we need this across the country. We we need people, stakeholders who you know who have who can follow her lead because I'll be real honest. You know, I'm just going along. I do what she tells me. <laughs> What do you need? What do you want? What do you, um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been pretty amazing, actually, to have her charge ahead. Well, I think it's it's really it's it's great to hear um, what a course of action might look like. This could potentially be a blueprint. Um, I think you've really outlined some of the major challenges associated with this from the school nurse shortages. Um, public schools just in general um, are obviously they're very resource strapped right now. Um, and then, you know, you factor in there's one educational audiologist for the entire state of Oklahoma. 
these are challenges. So I think it's a matter of figuring out how to work through that. Um, but you seem to um, at least be moving the ball forward, which is really encouraging to hear because I think we need validation that there is merit to what you're saying, which, you know, I think Jackie and Nina feel very strongly about this. This is Nina's life work. Um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot to this whole idea, um, but to see some real data, I think will be really, really validating to this whole idea of and Dave, it has been nothing short of hurting cats. <laughs> right, Melody? Yes, and but, but you know, but that's policy. I'm telling you, that's my work every day. I'm Kevin. so glad it's you. I, every I would day. Hurt someone, I think. <laughs> well, there there are times when you, you, you want to, but then, you know, there's thank heavens the weekends. <laughs> amen amen well on that note um i just want to say thank you to you three i know that this is um you know it's hard to find a time for for all of us to get together and, and do something like this but this has been incredibly enlightening for me to hear sort of your own words jackie of what you think um the the issue at hand here is um having nina here to really walk through the science behind you know, how we can improve this. And then, of course, having Representative Blancet to outline how like a policy change like this actually comes to be, um, because that for me is really, really important to hear. And I hope there are other people from around the country that um, want to, you know, join forces here and, and see this thing become something that there is real momentum behind. Um, so that's all I got. Any closing thoughts from any of you? Well, our kids are worth it. Um, at the end of the day, and I will re I will reiterate that if we aren't successful in tackling this problem, we're not going to have the kind of su successful workforce that we all want and need in order for our citizens to be best prepared to be successful on their own. And um, this seems to me to be um a relatively easily identifiable fix in the toolbox of how we address what our kids need and i would like to say in the words of someone who i love very much and was a very influential uh mentor in my life dr chuck Berlin, um who would always say we need more literate taxpayers <laughs> well said well, thank you three so much for coming on today. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end, and we will chat with you next time.